Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. And for the rest of you, you can open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9 is the last chapter in the opening section of the book of Proverbs. Uh, Chapter 10 begins really the rest of the book that consists of the shorter kind of one or two line proverbial sayings that we often associate with the book of Proverbs. But The first nine chapters actually consist of much larger units of thought, and you'll notice that even as we work through Proverbs chapter 9 this morning, we are going to read the entire chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you should be able to find one of the paperback Bibles underneath a seat nearby in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that Bible, or if you know someone in your life that would benefit from having a Bible and doesn't have a Bible, please take that Bible. Uh, We have plenty of paperback Bibles uh, to fill the sanctuary, and so we would love for you to take that as a gift. But our text can be found beginning at the bottom of page 307 of those paperback Bibles and continuing on to page 308. But we are going to be looking at the entire chapter this morning, and so if you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning from Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. And she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight." Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Well, long before Vladimir Putin was the president of Russia, Russia was led by Tsar Nicholas II, the last of the Tsars during World War I. And the downfall of the Tsar dynasty is often attributed historically, at least in part, to a wandering religious mystic and an alleged spiritual healer named Grigory, Grigory Rasputin. Tsar Nicholas II, and especially his wife Alexandra, believed that Rasputin exercised special healing powers on behalf of their son who suffered from hemophilia whose name was Alexei. 
And this spiritual healing that he seemed to exercise over their son led Rasputin to have an inordinate influence on Russia's leading family, actually convincing Nicholas to assume charge of the military forces in the war in 1915, which ended up being a horrible decision, as well as convincing him to entrust authority in making decisions back in the capital for the nation to his wife, Alexandra, of course, with Rasputin himself being readily available to offer counsel and instruction and guidance to her, which ended up being another horrible decision. Russia's prime minister at the time, Peter Stolopin, as well as a number of members of the secret police and others uh, in the higher chains of command, believed that Rasputin was a charlatan, and they urged the Tsar to distance his family from his sway. But Nicholas did not listen. And so with growing tensions in Russia's working class, it had been exaggerated because of the war, as well as more and more blame being placed at the feet of Nicholas for the mismanagement, the failure, and the defeat of Russia's military forces during the war. This all eventually led to Rasputin's assassination, the Russian Revolution in 1917, and the overthrow of the Tsars, the execution of Nicholas II himself, and the eventual establishment of the Communist Soviet Union. And so, turning from wise counsel, the Tsar, along with his wife, refused to listen to wise counsel and listened to the wrong voices. With tragic consequences, they listened to the wrong voices. But of course, this danger faces all of us all the time because we are always hearing voices. There's always messages coming at us that are targeting us and beckoning us to listen and to believe and to obey. And just as is the case, or was the case, with the Tsar and with his wife and with Russia at the time, being able to discern between the voice of wisdom and the voice of folly has profound consequences. It's the difference between victory and defeat, between flourishing and destruction, and between life and death. This is exactly what we see in Proverbs chapter 9. The ability to discern between the voice of wisdom and folly has profound consequences. But we begin looking at Proverbs chapter 9 by noticing that there are dual invitations. We hear these dual invitations in verses 1 through 6, and then again at the end of the chapter in verses 8 through 13. So we're actually going to treat Proverbs 9 this morning. It's kind of like a sandwich. We're going to start at the outsides, and we're going to move toward the middle. Now, we can see that Proverbs 9 begins and ends with two women extending dual invitations. And these two women are personifications of wisdom and folly. And they do share some similarities. Not only are both wisdom and folly personified as women, they're extending an invitation. And they're extending an invitation to come into a home. They both occupy a house, and they are issuing this invitation to the simple This invitation goes out to the simple. Now, we can describe the simple as those who are not fully developed spiritually or morally. They're impressionable, susceptible to influence, prone to wander, and at risk of making poor decisions. And so, to varying degrees, this always describes all of us. That none of us have arrived to full maturity in terms of moral and spiritual development. We are prone to wander and to make poor choices. And so, this invitation is going out to the simple. But the invitation takes the exact same formula as it goes out to the simple. Verse 4 and verse 16 in our passage are identical. 
both wisdom and folly issue this invitation. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, and then we get this invitation. And so they target the same audience, with this invitation into a house, and in that house there's a meal that's been prepared. And both wisdom and folly, both these two women, are announcing this invitation at the highest places of the town so that everyone hears these voices. Everyone is hearing these voices. And so there are some similarities, but it's actually the contrast between the two that's crucial for us to see. That's what's being done here in Proverbs chapter 9. There are similarities, but it's the contrasts that are highlighted. And we read that wisdom has built her house in verse 1, and she has hewn her seven pillars. And we actually don't get parallel language like this about building a house when it comes to folly. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. And these seven pillars should evoke this imagery of stability, of wholeness, of completeness, of flourishing. And in verse 2, we read that she has prepared a feast, and she has set her table. Everything is ready if the simple will just come in and partake of what wisdom provides. But folly, on the other hand, is described as loud. She is seductive, a Hebrew word that can be translated as full of simpleness herself, and she knows nothing. And her promised banquet consists of stolen water and bread eaten in secret, suggestive of sensual indulgence and forbidden cravings. But ultimately, the key contrast is located in the conclusion of both sections. In verse 6, we read that the invitation of wisdom is to leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. By contrast, in verse 18, the one that's heeding the voice of folly does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Sheol is a Hebrew word meaning the place of the dead. It's a contrast between life and death. And so when it comes to hearing voices, hearing the voice of wisdom or hearing the voice of folly, what's at stake ultimately is life or death. But what we need to understand is that both wisdom and folly are still extending their invitations at the highest places of the town today. That's still happening today, and everyone is hearing these voices. These voices are going out in our entertainment. We hear these voices in our music, in our movies. We hear them in our classrooms. They're present in our books, our newspapers, our media sources. They're present in our advertising. These voices of wisdom and folly, they permeate our culture. They saturate our culture with invitations about how we are to live. We're hearing those messages now. Some of those messages sound like this. You have to live your truth. Live your truth. You do you. And stolen water is sweet. Indulge your appetites. Follow your desires. Because it's nobody else's business and nobody needs to find out anyway. You have complete autonomy over yourself, over your life, over your body, over your words, over your thoughts. You carve out your own morality. Live by your rules. Forge your own identity. Create your own identity. Your identity is whatever you say it is. Follow your heart or follow the science. 
which may not be the same thing, so it gets confusing. <laughs> love is love. And you're a good person. You hear that message, right? You're a good person. And the greatest love that you can have is learning to love yourself. Your flaws are ultimately not your fault. You're not culpable for the flaws that you have in your personality. They're somebody else's fault because deep down, you're a good person. And because you're a good person, you deserve good things. You deserve to be happy. You're entitled to the things that will make you happy. You're entitled to the things that other people have that you think might make you happy. You're entitled to the things that you're told by all these voices that will make you happy. More is more. Bigger is better. Newer is truer. Old is mold. Celebrate pride. Celebrate pride. Stop hate. Accept hate for your enemies. You only live once. Never settle for less. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. There's no judgment. There's ultimately no accountability. And there's no need for personal responsibility. Just do it. Have it your way. After all, you're worth it. These messages are all over. But there's other messages to be heard as well. And they sound like this. In the beginning, God. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You are not your own. You are accountable to a higher source. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow not your heart, not the science. Follow Jesus. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. It is appointed for men and women to die once, and after this comes judgment. Judgment does come. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Love your enemies and bless those who curse you. There is one God and one mediator between God and man and woman, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. We're hearing voices all the time. These voices are all around us. The voice of wisdom and the voice of folly. Can you tell the difference? Can you tell the difference? And more importantly, which voice are you listening to? Which messages are you opting to live your life by? Not, not perfectly, right? We, we all at times are seduced by the voice of wisdom. So maybe the better question is, Whose house have you entered and are you living in? Whose food are you partaking on a regular basis that you hope will nourish your soul? Voices are calling out to everyone, and we see in the text that there are different responses. We see the different responses as we move inward into the chapter. We see these different responses in verses 7 through 9 and again in verses 11 and 12. And we see here... That some people will listen to the voice of wisdom and others will not. 
Some will listen to wisdom and others don't. The ones that don't are referred to as scoffers. Look in verses 7 and 8. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Notice how the scoffer is paired poetically in this parallelism with the wicked man. Whoever corrects a scoffer and he who reproves a wicked man. There's a connection. They inform one another there. We're going to see this a little bit later as well. But later on, we read here uh, that do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. In Proverbs 13.1, we read that a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And then in Proverbs 15.12, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. And so the scoffer is a wicked person who is resistant and hostile to wise correction and moral reproof. The scoffer is someone who is too proud, too arrogant, and too self-inflated to learn from wise correction and moral reproof, which is why we read later in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24, that scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. And this acting in arrogant pride is expressed by a refusal to listen to wise correction and moral reproof. But notice by way of contrast, we're told in verses 8 and 9 that if you reprove a wise man, he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Notice that you never reach the limits of wisdom so that you never need wise correction and moral reproof in your life. You'll never reach that point as long as there are elements of simpleness in you. And there are always in all of us. We're impressionable. We're not fully developed spiritually or morally. We are prone to wander and we are at risk of making poor decisions. As long as on some level that's true of you, you need moral correction and wise reproving in your life. You'll never get to the point where you no longer need that. And so here's a key piece of evidence that reveals whether you're living according to wisdom or whether you're living according to folly. Do you receive wise correction and moral rebuke in your life? Are you receptive to correction and rebuke? Not harsh and attacking kinds of things on your character, but when someone approaches you with wisdom and with truth and with faithfulness, and convicts you and corrects you of patterns that are evident in your life and that you need to be confronted with, how do you respond to that? Are you open to hearing those kinds of things? Deeply personal things, not easy things, hard things to hear because correction and rebuking can be very hard things to hear. But when someone points out an evident pattern of your life and says, it seems that you're not loving your wife and cherishing your wife the way that Christ loved the church and it's hurting your marriage, and it's hurting your family. Or I notice there's patterns in the way that you talk to and about your husband. They're not respectful in the way that the scriptures would call you to. And it's hurting your marriage. It's hurting your family. Or it's evident that your parents, or that as parents, your children are not responding to your godly authority. They're not subjected to your loving godly authority. You're allowing them to do whatever they want. Or the opposite could be a way that we need correction that I've noticed patterns in your parenting where it's devoid of grace and patience and you're being harsh with your children. Your children are not seeing a picture of the grace and patience and love of God the Father in your parenting. Are you open to receiving that? 
Are you open to have others speak into your life that says, you're growing critical and bitter and resentful in the way that you view life and the way that you view other people? And it's impacting you and it's impacting those around you in very negative, unhealthy, ungodly ways. I notice patterns of gossip in your life. It's becoming increasingly evident that you're not stewarding your body well in the way that you neglect rest, in the way that you neglect activity, in the way that you eat. You're not stewarding your body well, that you're not stewarding your time or your money well because it's evident that you're spending both time and money in frivolous pursuits at the expense of more important commitments in your life that are suffering as a result of that. Or it's evident that you're seeking comfort and contentment that can only be found in God and other very specific idols in your life, and I'm calling you out on that. Do you accept, or maybe even let's say it this way, do you invite that kind of wise correction and moral rebuke into your life, and you seek to cultivate and facilitate relationships where others can speak into your life this way. One is a way of wisdom. The other is the way of the scoffer. The other is the way of folly. And let's not miss the importance of verse 12. Verse 12 says, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. In other words, what that means is if that you are practicing wisdom, if you're open to wisdom and you're open to receiving correction and reproof, you will be the beneficiary of that. You will personally benefit and grow and flourish from that. But if you scoff, you will be the one bearing the unpleasant, painful consequences of being closed to wise correction and moral reproof that you need. There are two voices, dual invitations, and two different ways of responding to those things. Two different ways of responding. And we actually see this all the way through Scripture. Scripture puts this in front of us all the time. These two ways and two different ways of responding. If you go all the way to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we encounter two women again. But they're not wisdom and folly. The two women at the end of Scripture, toward the end of Revelation, are the bride of Christ and Babylon, the great prostitute. And people are aligned with one or the other of those two women. One leads to life, one leads to destruction, but you belong to one of those two. There's different ways of responding. Jesus points this out in the Sermon on the Mount as well. He talks about a broad way and a narrow way. And at any given point in time, you're on one of those two roads. One leading to life, one leading to destruction. Moses puts before the people of Israel two options in the covenant. He says, see, I have set before you life and good and death and evil. It's two options and two different ways of responding. And actually, we can go all the way back to the beginning of the Scriptures in the Garden of Eden. And what do we find there? We find two voices. We find the voice of the Lord, His Word given to Adam and Eve, and we have the voice of the serpent, the voice of wisdom and the voice of folly. One voice promising life and the other leading to death. Which voice are you listening to? Because wisdom is calling out, come in here. And folly is calling out, come in here. Who are you going to listen to? How are you going to respond? And something we have to face is, and Proverbs kind of bears this out through the rest of the book, the way of folly often appears more immediately rewarding and pleasant, while the way of wisdom 
often can seem more difficult and challenging from the outset. And so, why would we ever opt for wisdom? In fact, Jesus talks about that with the broad way and the narrow way. The broad way is an easy way, but it leads to death. The narrow way is a hard way, but it leads to life. So, why do we ever opt for wisdom? But maybe even more importantly, because we're simple Because there's something in us that lacks sense naturally in our fallen hearts. There's something that inclines us to folly. How can we ever expect to faithfully make wise decisions? How can we ever hope to faithfully make wise decisions and hear the voice of wisdom? Well, right in the middle of Proverbs 9, we discover the determining factor of that question. The determining factor of opting for wisdom or opting for folly. Because quite literally, verse 10 is in the center of this chapter. And this is what verse 10 says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That's right in the middle. And that's the determining factor of who you're going to listen to. Did you ever notice that we might think that this would say that the fear of the Lord is the end of wisdom, That the path of wisdom eventually will lead you to the fear of the Lord. But no, that's not it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you are ever to opt for wisdom, you have to start with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a precondition for hearing wisdom and rejecting the voice of folly. Now, the fear of the Lord doesn't mean that you're frightened or horrified by God. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. Fear of the Lord is a technical term that we read often in the Old Testament. It's a technical term that has a cognitive component to it, that we're aware of who God is. We know something of His character and of His self-revelation. So there's an element of knowing Him in this, an element of knowing that He exists and something of His character. We find the fear of the Lord is paired often with the knowledge of God. We find it in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 5, but we actually have it right here in this verse. Notice again this poetic pairing of phrases. The verse again, verse 10, is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. There's a relationship between wisdom and insight, right? They help us understand each phrase. But notice the other pairing, the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of the Holy One. Those two phrases inform one another as well. So there's this aspect of knowing Him, knowing God, that's part of the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord is more than just knowing intellectually. It also involves trusting Him. Trusting Him. According to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And those who fear the Lord are described in Psalm 33, 18 as those who hope in His steadfast love. Strong confidence, hoping in His steadfast love. This is trust and reliance. The fear of the Lord is not just about knowing Him, it's trusting Him. But there's a third element as well. There's a moral component to the fear of the Lord in that it involves obeying Him in righteousness and turning away from evil. The fear of the Lord is moral. It involves obeying Him in righteousness and turning away from evil. We read in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, just one chapter earlier, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. And in Proverbs 16, 6, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. There's a moral component here. Knowing, trusting, obeying. This is the fear of the Lord. But we might summarize all this simply by saying this. The fear of the Lord is aligning your compass 
the compass of your heart, the compass of your life, aligning that to God as your north star. Or to say it another way, it's a life and a heart oriented toward and around God. That's the beginning of wisdom. To have a heart and a life that's oriented around and toward God. That's the beginning of wisdom, and it's the determining factor of whether you will live according to wisdom or whether you will live according to folly. But don't miss this. Having a heart and a life that's oriented around and toward God is a gift of His grace. We don't naturally have that. We were born in sin with hearts bound up in folly. To have a heart that's inclined and oriented toward God is a gift of His grace, where God has already pursued us in His grace, in His covenant grace. And I use that phrase intentionally this morning, in His covenant grace. Because we're not just reading here about the fear of God. We're reading about the fear of the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D which is the way our English versions translate the personal name by which God reveals himself to his covenant people, Yahweh. And he reveals himself to his people as a God of covenant promise and covenant grace, who has pursued his stiff-necked, stubborn people, simple, wayward people first by his grace. But we know that this God of covenant promise and covenant grace comes to us ultimately in the fulfillment and full realization of covenant promise and covenant grace in the person of His Son, Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, and who God made to be for us our wisdom, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. So we can get more specific. Let's say this. The fear of the Lord is a life oriented around Jesus, knowing him as the Holy One. The demons recognize him as the Holy One, right? Pastor Bob's been preaching on that in Mark. And the demons see him, they recognize, what do you want with us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Knowing Jesus as the Holy One, trusting him as our Savior, and obeying him as our King. This is the beginning of wisdom. There is no wisdom apart from this, apart from knowing, trusting, and obeying Jesus. This is the beginning of wisdom. But wisdom's gracious invitation, even as we read it here in Proverbs chapter 9, this gracious invitation, it comes to the simple, to those who are prone to wander, easily influenced by negative voices, prone to make poor decisions because of the folly that's bound up in our heart, gracious invitation comes to the simple because Jesus lays down his life for the simple, not for the righteous, not because we have all the right answers and are living according to wisdom already. He comes and he lays down his life for the simple. He comes and lays down his life for sheep who are very simple creatures who are prone to wander and to go astray. That was us. He comes and he lays down his life for a sheep. And he says graciously in John chapter 10 verse 4, the sheep Follow him, for they know his voice. That's the voice of wisdom that's calling out. Come in here. Leave your simple ways and find life. But some will hear the voice of Jesus, 
and others won't. Will you hear the voice of Jesus? Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? Seek the grace for ears to hear his voice, to heed the invitation of wisdom in Jesus, to leave your simple ways and find eternal life in him through his death and his resurrection. But listen, it's noisy out there. It is noisy out there, and it is difficult at times, very difficult at times, to discern between the voices of wisdom and folly. You might think, I'm really good at discerning voices. I can text stuff like that. Did you know that Miss Piggy on the Muppets and Yoda from Star Wars was voiced by the exact same person? Right? It's true. It's voiced by the same person because hearing voices can be tricky. And we can only distinguish and discern between the voice of wisdom and folly by having well-trained spiritual ears. And well-trained spiritual ears comes from sitting underneath the Word, from saturating our lives and our homes with the Scriptures, writing them on our doors, writing them on our gates, being saturated with the Word, studying it, learning it, reading it. It comes from being faithful and devoted in prayer to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance and discernment and hearing those voices. And it comes from being part of a community of faith where we benefit from the discernment and correction of others. We don't have to discern this on our own. And because here at New Life, we want to be a place where we are better equipped to discern and resist the voices of folly that are all around us. And because we want to be better equipped at discerning the voice of wisdom and embracing it and living according to it through time in the Word, time in prayer, time invested in community. These three things, the Word, prayer, and community, are going to be the emphasis of our equip groups all this upcoming academic year, 2022 through 2023. The Scriptures, prayer, and community. We're going to emphasize that. Our equip groups are our small group discipleship ministry. They'll be launching sometime this fall. You're going to get a lot more information about equip groups in the, in the weeks to come, but that's what they're aiming at, equipping us to be better and to grow in our ability to discern the voice of wisdom and embrace it and reject the voice of folly. But in hearing voices, there's one voice that has to rise above all of them in supremacy, and that's the voice of Jesus, who is wisdom incarnate. And what Jesus has done is he has offered us a gracious invitation to enter into his heavenly home his heavenly home where he provides for us a great eternal banquet we can feast upon forever in rooms that he himself prepares for all of those who hear his voice and follow him as their shepherd so that we can know that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of wisdom. We will dwell in the house that Jesus constructs for us and affords to us by his grace. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, we thank you for this, this beautiful chapter in Proverbs that is so descriptive of where we live. We are always hearing voices. And Lord, we confess that there's much simpleness in us still, and so would you pour out your Spirit upon us, that you would tune our ears and tune our hearts to the voice of Jesus our Savior, and that we would follow him knowing that to reject his voice is to follow the ways of death, but to follow him as our Savior, our shepherd, and our leader is to walk the path of life that we have in him by his grace through his death for us and his resurrection. Lord, give us grace to do that, we pray in his name. Amen.